You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Graham Singh is interested in your struggling downtown church. Singh is senior pastor of St. Jacques in downtown Montreal, an experienced church planter, and also executive director of Church Planting Canada. He is leading a renaissance of church use, if I can put it that way, suggesting to downtown urban Canadian churches that there might be a new way to do ministry in their buildings. I'm Karen Stiller from Faith Today magazine, and Graham Singh joins us for this podcast. Welcome, Graham. Hello, Karen, and hello, listeners. It's an honor to be with you today. Well, it's fun. Um, Your personal website, which I went on today, has this amazing and hopeful quote on it, and it is, I believe we are all part of the greatest reformation and revival ever. That is very optimistic. Tell us about that. Well, in order to think about what Reformation and Revival are, we'd have to know a bit about Reformation and Revival. And we certainly think of the Reformation that we call the European Reformation of 500 years ago. And there we had uh, a split going apart for reasons that I think many of us would probably defend. Interestingly, I think many Roman Catholics would defend uh, those reasons as well. What we have now is a massive separation of the church. And in North America, we probably see it most clearly. And that church is coming back together. We're seeing uh, parts of the church coming back together that that have been historically very deeply divided and that are realizing as they face some of the issues in cities, especially in Western culture, uh, realizing actually our unity around the person of Jesus and the promises that God has made to us through him are, are far greater than what divides us. We've probably been saying that for a while. Uh, and I think the basis of um, our revival is when we repent of division, we repent of sin, and God comes in and moves amongst us. But I think the repentance for division is greater than we've ever seen before. And as a result, some of the signs of revival are greater than we've ever seen before. And we could also say, uh, actually, we've never been more desperate. Uh, so it's kind of that combination of hope and desperation that I believe gives us those conditions of of really the greatest reformation and revival of the church. And I think we're all playing our part, even if we feel like we're on the outside of that. So you are definitely a glass half full priest. I like <laughs> <Amen>. that. <laughs> so this all does have very much to do with what you've been doing at St. Jack's in downtown Montreal. So for people who don't know this story, tell us in a nutshell what has been happening there since you took over as priest in charge. So I've, I've come here to downtown Montreal with a, with a toolbox that my, my wife and I picked up from our, our many years, almost 14 years at Holy Trinity Brompton in the UK, uh, which is the home of the Alpha Course. And there we also had all these empty church buildings at the same time as as new people coming to faith through an environment for their questions. And so we end up taking people that may may not have fit the traditional ministry model, but actually were really good leaders in their community and had given their lives to Christ. And we said, hey, what if we just put these people in these old buildings, maybe add a guitar or two and uh, and see if we can open the doors of one of these old churches. And in, in the UK, as I said, we were based for quite some time. Uh, as a team, we've seen over 50 churches reopened. And I was ordained as a minister in the Anglican Church, a priest. Uh, we use all those different terms. Uh, and, and ordained into trying out this model. So here at St. Jack's in Montreal, we're really saying this toolkit that we know worked in the UK and that, that I've been a part of for some time. We said, let's try it out. Let's try it out in Montreal. You know, do we need this? Are there any church buildings closing in Canada? And, of course, uh, we've been back in Canada now, which is 
my, my home and native land from childhood, but we've been back in Canada for five years. And what we found is the toolbox is, you know, it's working. Lots of parts of that are working. Montreal, we can talk more about this, but it's a very, very different context from London, England. It's very different from the rest of Canada, actually. Uh, but what we found is the toolbox of saying, let's take these old buildings that meant something very different in the past. Let's close down what was going wrong. And here I could tell you all the things that were going wrong. The bishop knew that. And the bishop really set the plan to close his church down and then invite former members, some who left from previously, as well as those who'd kind of just been waiting for some kind of church like this. You know, let me call it a a, a more modern, open, uh, you know, biblically based, but being careful to include as many people as we can, you know, church in the heart of the empty shell of what had become this, this really closed down Anglican church. So the model is to kind of take that building, take that setting, take the opportunity to close it down, get in there with a team of people who we, we kind of just called out, uh, of the city to say, would you like to come and help us? And, and we probably had about, I don't know, 50, 60 people that came initially and we got going with the Alpha course. We started running Alpha in the middle of this place and people started giving their lives to Christ. And I think where we've gotten to is we, we have just more and more of a bizarre group of people here. Uh, the kind of bizarre people that I, the more I read the scriptures, I think Jesus was surrounded by some really weird people. Yeah, uh, we're and, all a bunch of weirdos. We're all a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> so basically that, that's it, Karen, is saying, look, how do you take an old building, run an Alpha course, and hope that, hope that God builds a church there? And I think that's what he's doing. So um, the logistics of it, or the more more of the details, you come in, you're appointed uh, to be the minister in charge, and you literally close down. And when did you launch this Alpha course? And was it on Sunday mornings? Yeah, that's a great question. We did actually start it on Sunday mornings. We, we actually stopped the Sunday service, and we only ran Alpha. Okay. And so somebody said, well, I like your Sunday service, but I don't like your Alpha. I think, well, what, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. You mean? You mean you want to be served up church, but you're not willing to offer these promises to anybody else. It's kind of a good filter. And we had, can you, this is kind of fun for, for any more uh, traditional church uh, listeners today. We had four former church wardens. That's the kind of elected officials within the church council um, who were alpha, who became alpha leaders. And so actually it wasn't that this was all a new bunch. We had some of the old bunch, but who were tuned up in their faith and their service in that way. So yeah, we started on Sundays. And we had a pre-launch at Easter where we kind of gave people a taster of what the Sunday services, the regular Sunday celebration would look like. And then we kept going with Bible studies over the summer and that full launch in September. So that's three years ago now. And the pre-launch period was a period of nine months. Wow. And so during that pre-launch period, what exactly were you doing? Were you painting walls and making things cool? Yeah. First thing we do in the dead of night uh, when nobody's looking is we take the, we take those church pews out. Uh-oh. Church pews are a really, really bad idea, and they were always a bad idea. They, they, they have maximized seating at times, but, you know, in the Anglican church, people used to have to pay for the better pews. So if you're, if you're a rich guy, you got to have a nice pew, and if you're poor, you got no seat. Like, there's some really bad things that have mm-hmm. happened with the past. And, of course, people defend that and all the rest. We take out the pews, and nobody likes it because they kind of look nice for a little while until they're out. And then you put a new floor down and say, hold on, we can still put chairs in rows if we want, uh, you know, for a wedding or whatever. But actually, we can create a participative form of worship instead of only an instructional one. Uh, So we do that. We did some painting, put in sound system lights, uh, just the basics of what we need to get going. And in the meantime, just clean this place, cleaned out junk, 
uh, tried to freshen it up and just try to tell the story to the neighborhood of what we were trying to do. Wow. And so you mentioned that I think you said that some people left and some people came. This is a you did a very disruptive thing. So the congregation that was pre-exist at you, um, are they mostly back now? So there were about 60 people left at the time when the bishop closed the church down. Uh, and just to clarify that, it, it really is the bishop that does the closing mm-hmm. in our in our situation. And I think we can simulate that, by the way, in a lot of other denominations, where the denomination can be responsible for the closing. So the new planter has a kind of fresh set of eyes, and there's an, a lot of emotion behind leading that kind of thing. So the bishop did a great job on that. Uh, and uh, I think we have about 30 of, let's call it the kind of old guard, sure. who are back with us. Uh, the other probably 20 or so went to other churches in our own denomination and and some we don't know where they went to but we we certainly know where you know a a good portion of everybody kind of went to yeah no that and that happens even when you don't do something radical uh, as radical as you did when a new person comes usually right and let me not avoid this word you said karen disruptive i mean the disruptive nature of a project like this is both a blessing and a you know it's a weight it's hard for people. And sometimes it doesn't seem like that. It, it, it kind of comes in a little bit later right. when you realize, hey, you know what? That kind of change is hard for people. And uh, mixing the emotions of that is something that, uh, you know, this is the fourth church I've had the, the privilege of replanting in this way. Uh, and I'm still very much learning how to manage those two modes of, of pastoral care. Would you call this a reboot or is it far more than that? I like the idea of replant. Uh, Mark Clifton from the uh, Send Network is one of the best guys using that term these days. Uh, reboot is hard. Re- reboot kind of says the operating system's okay. Mm. If we just kind of control all delete that thing, uh, it'll be fine. Whereas replant says, you know, I mean, replant to me is like when you got a big lawn and you know you've got those bugs in the lawn and the light didn't come in, you didn't plant the right grass seed. You got to pull out the dead grass, re-rake that thing, you know aerate it and plant new seed and put new fertilizer down. So I prefer replant over reboot. Yeah. Okay. Now you, uh, this is more, um, it's about more than just Sunday morning though. You have opened this building and this space up to the wider community. And that is, as I understand, essential to what you're doing there. So tell us about that. So the, the, the thing with a lot of church plants and, and as you know, in, in my work with church planting Canada, we work with a lot of churches that, you know, they might be looking at a, a facilities cost of, let's call it somewhere between thirty and $100,000 a year that make up what they would be willing to pay as a church plant. If they go and rent from Cineplex or something like that or a local community center, that's what they'll be paying. If you try to map that on to a lot of mainline churches' reality right now, many of them are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to be in their physical space. And that's why the, the financial model of using these buildings is really in such bad, uh, bad state. Then what happens is they say, well, of course, we should share out our building. And, you know, I talked to one church the other day. They said, man, we're doing all these concerts. We're doing all, you know, they listed all these things they're doing. And I said, what are you making at the end of the year from all that? And they said, well, about 20,000 bucks. And at at those kind of numbers, it just doesn't add up. So what we we knew coming into this building, and we we have one of the biggest, most beautiful church buildings in, in Canada. It's a great, great building in an amazing location right on St. Catherine Street here. We knew we were going to have to not only increase the level of community activity here, but make sure that it was revenue driving activity that you know that is actually paying the bills. So we've been looking at weddings, which 
comes up with a whole other question of what weddings do you agree to if you're running it as a venue? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, concerts, we, the city of Montreal runs concerts here every almost every other week. Conferences that are good rate paying conferences as well as charitable rental. And on top of all that, we're sharing the building now with um, four or kind of five, depending on how you describe that, that fifth group, uh, five other churches. So we're trying to really not only use the building, which a lot of people do, and they try to, you know, the first thing people often do is try to put a food security thing in there or homeless shelter. Um, very often those are amazing ministries to put in. But not only do they not bring in any money, they, they actually often prevent other activities from coming in. So we're trying to have a very um, financially responsible way of looking at that, which is, which is again, back to disruptive. It's not always everybody's favorite way of doing it. And we have not made it, you know, we're not done the experiment here, but we realized in very secular Montreal, man, we're going to have to really think hard about how we use this building. So uh, I'm sure you must have received criticism for this. <laughs> like when you say that you might choose to say not put in a soup kitchen, but host a concert for the city. Help us understand that in church land. Yeah, I mean, we have had conflict and I, you know, uh, probably the very first conflict we had was with a homeless shelter that was based here. And uh, it was the first meeting I held was with with that group saying, guys, how can we make a long term plan with you guys? Um, because right now, what's the way things are working is not working out. And uh, the, the activities of the center were just spilling out over over everything in a in a totally uncontrolled way. And the biggest problem actually on the other side for, for those who are following this important issue is looking at the residential schools settlement and the learnings from that, from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, realizing, man, you know, child safety is not a side issue. The care of vulnerable people is not a secondary issue. It has to be number one. So just right there, you get a conflict where you say, okay, how do you put a child protection policy together with a homeless shelter? And if I told you, well, let's run a homeless shelter inside a primary school, you'd say, well, no way could you do that. Um, yet we try to run some very difficult activities alongside activities for children and, and just hope it'll be okay, okay in a church building. So yeah, we faced definitely some some hard um, some hard conversations. Wow. And this idea of the the five other churches you mentioned, uh, they're not meeting on Sunday mornings. How does that work? So we meet on Sunday mornings and then we kind of hand over our instruments um, and the the kind of warmed up church vibe and we refresh the coffee and stuff to a whole other church called Cavalry Chapel. Very, very good. Um, very, very good evangelical church. They're out feeding the poor every week. Uh, they have some great Bible studies, prayer meetings, and they're quite a different kind of flavor of church, but very, we're, we're very much um, united in our kind of kingdom mindset. They're there in the afternoon. We're hoping to have a new church in the evening, and we're kind of considering a, a Spanish church right now, which would be really exciting. And then during the week, we have Power to Change here. So we, we actually consider that Power to Change uh, is a student church. Uh, we don't call them parachurch. Or that kind of, that's the Power to Change student ministry. Uh, they're here every Thursday during term time. And then we have La Chapelle, which is a really exciting uh, Francophone church. We're more mixed language. I think we almost have more Chinese people than Francophone right now, but that's that's just the fun of St. Jack's. And then the fifth church is, is actually a Chinese church that, honestly, they are so, such an exciting group of people. I know that they're going for it for the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. But when it comes to what else they're doing, I don't really know. Um, I, I don't quite understand what they're doing, but I, when they come, they're like three or four hundred people here. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, that's kind of how we share our building for churches. So if a 
church planter um, came to a Canadian city and wanted to be downtown, St. Jacques could provide a kind of template for how they could do that. Well, it could be. It could be. And that's that's I think that's really what we're trying to do with thinking of these new ideas is thinking, how do we think of Monday through Saturday secular use for the building? Right. And Sunday and some midweek time think of uh, of Christian use within a Christian building. That's that's where we're going on this. Um, Is it a template? Yes. Not quite. But, yeah, we are hoping that actually this is part of the development of of a wider model. Okay, let's talk about the Trinity Centers Foundation then, because that's sort of what that's about. Uh, But I actually, before we do that, (laughs) I think that some people would have a real struggle with the businessy model and think you're sort of selling your soul. So convince us, um, Graham, that I mean, I get it because you're you're because you're doing this, you're able to stay downtown as a Christian church. Right. That seems to be the trade off here. So when we when we get on, as we get into talking about where this model could go, I'll tell you one of the first people to join our team is actually the the North American director of the Send Network, which is the uh, a number of Baptist conventions uh, church, church planting arm. Uh, Jeff Christofferson, a fantastic friend, and he was very quick to join this team looking at this because as a church planting catalyst, uh, and within Church Planting Canada, we define that as somebody whose job title it is to release church plants in Canada. We realize, man, there are so many churches being kicked out of community centers and cinemas and schools. Those those rented facilities are not stable environments for churches. Okay, why so are they la- being kicked out, Graham? Well, um, I think in each case, I, I you know, it's very hard to, to have empirical data on it. Sure. But the data I have from my ear to the ground on this is people are saying, you know, school principals are saying we're just no longer comfortable with having Christian churches inside. In fact, we're just not comfortable having faith groups inside the school. Okay. Uh, the cinemas are saying now, by the way, the cinemas are very happy to have everybody in there. Cineplex Odeon is one of our, our platinum sponsors for church planning Canada, but they're also realizing they're going to have to charge more money to make their business model work. So cinemas are not necessarily a, a cheap option. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cinemas are not all that common. The bigger cinemas are not all that common in city centers. They're more of a suburban thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. We don't have any problem with spaces for churches in the suburbs in Canada. Mm-hmm. There's no problem with that. But when we're talking about, you know, we say, well, hold on. Hipsters don't like suburbs. They like urban centers. Uh, and who cares whether they're hipsters or not, but let's just call them younger generation. Uh, people, the fashion right now is to move into the city. Mm-hmm. And in urban spaces, we are very short on spaces for mission. So it's where you come back. Do you think... Okay, we know that actually a lot of younger people like smaller churches. They like a more intimate setting. Um, they like to be urban. And they like history. They like a genuine expression of faith. So all of a sudden, you start looking back. You think, man, actually, these, these funny old church buildings, if they could be made to work, could be very effective for a number of different types of expressions of church. Okay, yeah, I, I, I can see that. So the Trinity Senators, sorry, Trinity Centers Foundation, then tell us what that is. Yeah. Karen, I feel like I might have just I, I wonder if I I wonder if I missed your question earlier on the if that's the case, that these are good buildings, then we have to look. I mean, if somebody say I don't like the businessy kind of way of looking, at it, I'd say that's fine. you don't have to be involved in this. <laughs> but if you if you want to have a space for your church plant in the yeah. middle of an urban 
then you're going to have to get real. And yeah. the, the language of church planting, man, you know, there are some really careful, clear thinkers that add up numbers. And you got to just, it's it's all, all throughout the Bible. Yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. Adding up the numbers. So there we go. And driving through any downtown core of a reasonable sized Canadian city, you are passing beautiful, old, historic, and stat- statistics would tell us emptying church buildings. Um, so I, I see that you're connecting into that reality. That's it. And that, that is where we get to the Trinity Centers Foundation, because it's that drive by. And actually, um, I haven't written too many blog posts, but one of them is literally written to the church planter who drives by that empty old church and is praying like, Lord, I'm just, just looking for a place to meet with my church. And that building is empty. How, how come I can't go there, Lord? And how do I make friends with those guys? And at the same time, the other blog post I've written is what is it like for the guy inside that church or the, or the lady inside that church who's leading that little Anglican, United, Presbyterian uh, or Catholic congregation and saying, for heaven's sake, this, how can I open this thing up to, to express the love of God into the community? So from both sides of where we would look in the church, we're looking at these buildings and we now mix in a financial view of these buildings. And this is part of my kind of family and, and school background. Uh, in, I was a graduate of London School, London School of Economics in the UK and have been working in this area of thinking about property for, for some time now. From a property point of view, these buildings represent what we're calling the largest underused asset class in Canadian cities. That means they're, they're being used sometimes like 5% of the time, which from a real estate point of view is it actually amounts to gross negligence in the case of a charity. Uh, yet for churches, we've kind of come to accept it. So the idea has been, how can we look at that challenge as, an, as a challenge of urbanism and gospel and community um, and realize actually we start adding a few other players in the city and we realize a lot of people are interested in this. So the Trinity Center's foundation, the idea is to say, let's create a new model. Let's create a model which is effectively, you wouldn't be surprised and, you know, Listeners would not be surprised to know the, the the prototype we're working on St. Jack's is effectively where we're trying to go with this to say instead of having a church with a bunch of different community things in it, let's actually have a community hub which has multiple social enterprises, charities, different groups like that, as well as multiple churches. So it's still an old church building, but its main identity is as a community hub and the church activity is secondary. Um, that's the big idea of what a Trinity Center is. And the idea of the foundation is to get anybody in Canada who is a serious practitioner in thinking about this, whether that be, you know, an Anglican or Catholic bishop or the mayor of a city who's looking to build a community hub anyways and would look at these and say, let's bring them all together and get everybody thinking in the same room. And and right now we're looking at about 50 people around Canada who are significant leaders in, in their banks or their organizations uh, or their churches uh, or their social innovation thinkers and say, and that group right now is just a really exciting think tank that's come around to look at this issue and see if we can create this new model on a, a more widespread basis. So for the original inhabitants of that downtown church, uh, it seems a great release would be required of them. They would need to release their sense maybe of the church as they've known it forever. And the, the shift into community hub thinking seems like a really big one. It is. And actually from a, from a 
business point of view, it is our biggest challenge right now. Uh, it would be known as a real estate model that we're trying to figure out of how do you say, well, the local congregation has a stake in this building, their denomination has a stake. Um, within the church and the denomination, some are interested in just getting some money out so they can pay for other things. Others are interested in mission and others are interested in this kind of, let's call it community impact. So the stakeholders of the church building as it stands now are divided in their interests, which means it's very hard to provide a structure that satisfies all of them. Where it gets kind of fun is when, uh, you know, let's say it's some grandparent and great grandparent age people who are those people you just described, Karen. Um, it's very interesting when it's their kids and their grandkids who come and say, for heaven's sake, grandma, you know, that church that has, you know, great granddad's plaque on the wall, you know, we all are not all that interested in church right now, but man, would we be, ever be interested in there being a refugee charity in there? And we'd go there for weddings and, you know, all of a sudden from a missional point of view, so switching back to those gears, we, we'd start talking about folks as people of peace and wanting to do the life of community together. Um, very often church plans look for those people, church planters are looking for those community, you know, community minded people as people who might be favorable to eventually hearing a message of the gospel. So what we're kind of saying is actually, what if we build that environment within these buildings? And very often the initial, like the current stakeholders who are almost always much older, it's usually as they look at those younger people in their lives who are resonating with this, that they say, ah, you know what? This, this actually could help realize our dream. And if you can fan into flame that kind of dream of when they said, man, this, this church used to be at the center of the community. And if the offer is to say, actually, we want to see that again, but it's going to look quite different, then, then we start to see hearts, hearts warming around that idea. And what about, um, I'm just guessing there could be conflict sometimes when, uh, if you've moved into this model and all of a sudden, um, one of the people or groups using the church space or what was the church space, now the community space, it doesn't really jive with the Christian faith or, or some members of the church get antsy when they're doing their strange dance or whatever it is. Like, how does that work? So uh, we have been, <laughs> we've had some pretty interesting experiments on this front. Uh, we had uh, some salsa dancing nights that were supposed to be fundraisers for a charity, and they they it became clear they were much more about the dancing than about the fundraising. <laughs> and and they, they got a little, you know, they kind of went a bit, uh, you know, I don't want to say out of hand, but it went further than than we would have liked it to go. I actually, um, we did a documentary for the CBC on this, and and I told this story, and somebody actually called me, and they said, I would love, they said, they said this, they said, I left the church 10 years ago, she said, her and her husband, she said, however, I would consider coming back to a church that had a problem with too much dancing in the church. Oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah, it was a test of the, the limits for us, but actually, you know, there's some fruit of it right away. We've also got now a group of performers from Cirque du Soleil, who would like to set up a small performance type space for their art form, which is a big thing for, for you know, here in Montreal, you know, Cirque du Soleil that has 10,000 employees here in Montreal. Uh, but most of their performances are all over the world. They're not here in Montreal. So they'd like to perform here. And we've had conversations with them about how do they present the concept of evil, right? Where often it's, there's something bad that happens in one of the stories. And we're saying, how do you make sure evil is resolved? And also if you're putting performers in that kind of dramatic performance, how do you make sure that what they're wearing is, 
you know, compatible with being in a sacred space. Right. And we've been having those conversations and we've been amazed that simply giving to people that brief to say, how about we don't police you, but we tell you, you are sharing a sacred space here and we are sharing our sacred space with you. So let us be co-equal partners here. We've been amazed that people, I actually want to use this phrase, almost like a mutual submission to each other um, has been quite, quite amazing. But yeah, that, that sharing and it's going to cause problems in the future. It, it, we do not have it all ironed out. But if it's going to create community and the kind of revenue that keep these places open, then it, I'd rather be on that line of risk. Okay. So if you, uh, if somebody was listening to this and they were in a downtown urban church and they didn't want to go as far as you have gone, but they see the value of opening things up a bit, what guidelines or tips could you offer them to kind of get started slowly? And then maybe they'll have Cirque du Soleil in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say all of the, the basic things of being a good missionary, of being in the city, listening, what are the needs? What are the places? I mean, in Montreal, look, there's a need because Cirque du Soleil is based here and these performers want to express their art form here. It's a big city for the film industry. We do a lot of film rentals here. In another city, it might actually be the issue of food security that's the number one need. And there are actually some food security groups that are incredibly well-funded. Uh, in some ways, it's easier to fund a food security group than it is to fund a church in a city. And you might be able to say, actually, here's a way of sharing our space with something that we would clearly say is compatible with our with our kind of church. Um, I use I have not come up with a better phrase than this. And this is a terrible phrase, but it's what you're on to here, Karen. I, I call this partial temporary deconsecration. Hmm. Uh, in the case of a Catholic church, that means that that means a lot because the consecrated space has a very serious meaning. In case of an evangelical church, a lot of evangelicals are not really sure what they mean by consecrated space. They they just basically mean I feel awkward with X, Y, and Z activities happening in our you know our 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 place where we also worship and study the Bible. I would say ask what it is that would help you reach the needs of the community in a way which you would find comfortable. The other side is to have a very serious look at the finances to say, are we actually able to run this building? If there's a church that has a moderate sized building and has 500 people coming and all 500 people are tithing, then look, you don't have to share your building. You're going to be fine. Um, if however you're finding fewer and fewer people are tithing yeah. and actually it's becoming harder, then you've got to set a revenue target and say, we need to raise another hundred thousand dollars and then set about trying to find it. Um, so that, that I would say, you know, find out whether you're really called to run the building mm -hmm. and some churches are saying, you know what, we're not actually sure we're, we're called to run a building. Um, but if you are, then I think it's, it's making sure the numbers add up. Yeah. And not, not being afraid of the business model. And I don't think any of us should be because we've got business people in our churches. Right. Friends. Yeah. We often just don't ask them for their expertise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So tell me, uh, as we wrap up, Graham, tell me what the most encouraging thing for you right now is as you have life at St. Jackson, you look forward to the Trinity Center's foundation growing. I think probably the most encouraging thing for me have, has been all the kinds of groups that we've kind of started to believe this this lie of the enemy in Canada that the the world of of government and of business and of civic society in general is against the church i think actually and this is a hard one to bring up at the end of a podcast but i think where we get into trouble is is the way in which we've 
handled issues like homosexuality has been a really hard one for a lot of those civic um, players. Actually, as we come to handle, I think a lot of churches in Canada are just doing much better of saying at, at, at being able to handle those issues more carefully, um, with more grace, with more understanding that we are not the majority culture. Christians are not the majority culture in Canada. We are Bible-believing, Christ-following, Sunday-attending churchgoers are very much the minority of Canadian society. And I think as we realize that, actually, there's so much of society is for so much of what we're trying to do. Mm. And I think if we would, I think what we've experienced is a lot of that group having rushed in and said, you know, wow, we really like what you're doing. And, and some really interesting businesses, uh, Miller Thompson, PricewaterhouseCoopers, We've had federal and uh, provincial and municipal levels of government all leaning in to say, we would love to see you do this. And we keep then saying, guys, you know, like, like the big reason we want to do this is because we want to keep space for Christian worship on Sundays. And they say, yeah, that's fine. We know that. We can understand. We can appreciate that. And I'll say, no, I mean real Christian worship where we get to say whatever <laughs> we want to say, right? And they say, no, we, we, we get that. And, and, you know, if we can do the ownership structure the right way, then we can probably protect that more safely in this structure than in a lot of other structures. And so to me, the most encouraging thing has been these people that maybe we thought were against us. And I, I've, I, in preparation for the call today, I was just reading, uh, again, probably my favorite book in the Bible from, um, from the book of Nehemiah. And just right up there in, in, in chapter two in Nehemiah, um, you know, there's Nehemiah going in front of the king who has no, no faith that the king will support his plan. And the king's first response is asking, how long is your voyage going to be, Nehemiah? Because I'm going to miss you. You know, how can I support you in this? And I think as we ask, are these buildings more like Nehemiah's wall or more like Solomon's temple? Um, if they're more like Solomon's temple, we should be very, very worried about what happens inside them. But if they're more like Nehemiah's wall, the place of prosperity and the place where the city is shaped, then I think we can open the doors a little bit wider. And, and I'm really glad to be playing some part in trying to stir up that conversation. Oh, thank you, Graham. How can people find out more? So a few websites, uh, trinitycenters.org uh, is the foundation website, stjax.org, which is stjax.org is the church website, and churchplantingcanada.ca, churchplantingcanada.ca is the uh, website for Church Planting Canada. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.